The Polish-American writer Jerzy Kaczynski once said, the principles of true art is not to portray, but to evoke. Of course, it was emotions he wanted art to evoke, but it could so easily have been memories. In this episode of Finger Flicking Good, we're back with the artists, but this time, instead of talking about team painting, I'm speaking with people who not only paint teams, but they also create art using the iconic Sabutio figure, whether in 3D or in graphic form. We'll hear what they see when they look at a Sabutio figure, and how they have used the bowl-shaped figure in their art, and what the future holds for Sabutio art. All that and more coming up in this episode of Finger Flicking Good. Keep listening. When most people of my vintage look at a Sabutio player, they tend to see Charlie Stadden's iconic 60s classic heavyweight figure with his broad chest, short back and sides haircut. He's taking a slight step forward, but is otherwise static. I asked each of our contributors what it was they saw when they looked at a Sabutio figure and whether or not this allowed them to visualise the piece of art they were about to create. First up, Lawrence Watson, who produces his work under the name Watsy's Sabutio Art. Uh, well, for me, the way I got into Sabutio Art was, I seen it more than just a figure standing on a base, you know. I seen the potential to, to have it running or have it celebrating a goal. Or what actually, one of the first things I done was I actually changed it and took the player completely off the base and then completely remodeled re, uh, it and put it back, you know, jumping in the air. So then putting it like, at the time I was trying to find a way of making a player stand in the air without being sort of noticeable. So I started using pins, you know, like a, a thin metal needle. Um, use, use it, <laughs> try to melt it into the base and try to melt it into the player. It ended up a bit messy, but for me, it, it, was, it was something different. Um, brought the player to life you know and then when you sort of photographed it it looked it looked like it was in the air you know that way um but for me the heavyweight the heavyweight photo was i was never a heavyweight fan so i was always a lightweight fan so for me the the iconic figures were the figures of the, the 90s for me you know growing up in that year with with Sabudio, it was it was the teams you got in the old polystyrene boxes the england's uh, the Italy's, the Brazils, you know, that sort of figure. Um, so I always had a sort of, what, what would you call, like a, like a like a bond with them sort of figure. So for me, the old figure from the 60s and stuff didn't really, didn't really stand out in my memory as a, as a kid or growing up with Sabutio. But definitely when I first started, when I came back to Sabutio um, four or five years ago there, it was more about, it wasn't about playing it. It was about seeing figures in a different light, you know, making them run, making them celebrate, jump, and different things like that, you know. Paul Riddler, who showcases his work as Sabutio Legends on Twitter, doesn't use classic heavyweight figures in his work. He prefers to use figures from the lightweight era, 
and when he looks at a figure, he doesn't actually see a subutio player, but rather a collection of arms, legs and other body parts that can be shaped to recreate a moment from footballing history. Here he is explaining the process involved. Uh, to be honest, I sort of tend to see the lightweight figure more than the heavyweight figure. It's basically what I grew up buying and playing sort of in the late 80s. Um, but when it comes to sort of recreating a particular pose or position for one of my figures, I don't really see the Subutio figure too much in my mind because I have to break it up into so many segments or parts in, in order to recreate um, as realistic a representation as I can, really. Callum Westwood of Westwood Table Soccer is another who has a preference, but despite his youth, it's not for lightweight era figures, but rather their heavyweight predecessors. And every time he works with these figures, he feels the weight of history heavy on his shoulders. Um, for me, like when I use my teams to play with, so with my actual teams, like when I think of Sputo figures, I think classic heavyweight because that's what I grew up with um, being around and wanting to have in my own stuff. So if someone says Sputo to me, that's the first thing I think of. Um, but you've probably seen, if you're referring to the heavyweight walker, the Uruguay that I've done, um, which is a restoration job, uh, Sweden and uh, Switzerland that I've put up, um, which were actually recent. They're very recent paint jobs, actually. They were done for a friend of mine in Italy. Um, but for me, when it comes to creating a Sputio team or a Sputio figure, it's about trying to create the magic of how do you get something that small to have that much detail on it? But more than that, to represent the team and the players that it was originally worn by. So for example, with that Uruguay, the skin tones, etc., are all taken from a photo of that team. So for me, it was about trying to do those guys as much justice as I could so that when someone's using them, I don't know, like their legacy, like their, part of them is in that figure if that makes sense so let me introduce myself first my name is andre mora i'm from lisbon portugal that's the voice of andre mora who lives in lisbon and is on twitter and instagram as the hybrid man i recently became aware of andre's work when he appeared on my twitter timeline he specializes in the creation of figures across the pop culture spectrum from film characters to rock stars He's a fan of a totally different type of figure, one he calls the hybrid, a figure that was only produced in Portugal by the Italian Parodi company. The figure was essentially a classic heavyweight, but cast with a peg fitting so it could slot into the new style base that was being produced by Subutio. Here's Andre explaining what takes place when he looks at a figure and how it often dictates what he's going to create. Well, uh, my first answer for the first question, well, the, when I look to the figure, the blank or some cheap uh, team lightweight figure, I usually know what I'm going to do because I have a, a little book agenda where I write it down, the figures, and, and make a, a lot of lists of the collections that I, I want to make. But sometimes, and, and happen more with figures that are not, Team figures, the, the SRE figures, the, the, the VIP set, the, prof, the photographers, the policemen, the cricket figures. I see or recognize some characters there, um, the shape or the movement of, 
of the figure take me to adapt to a certain character and obviously uh, I work with uh, a lot of broken figures <laughs> with what I have at the moment uh, be sure that I don't use figures that are in good condition or, or expensive ones in the early years I used cheap lightweight teams now Stu Hall is an illustrator and graphic designer who creates what he calls Subuticons where he takes famous footballers and recreates them as almost cartoon-like illustrations atop Subutio's classic bullshit base. The shape he chose for his classic Subutio icon was deliberate, based as it was on his own experience of the game. Yeah, to be honest, it was. I mean, it's so I I'm a child of the eighties, um, teenager of the nineties. Um, I I played for um, Subutio as a kid. Um, I must admit, I was terrible at it. I used to get thrashed uh, by my dad. But my, my older brother, he was into um, Warhammer, you know, the Games Workshop. He painted all those kind of figures. So he was he was excellent at painting. So he used to paint all the teams for me, which, looking back, was actually quite a kind thing for an older brother to do. <laughs> um, so he would paint all the teams. And so I, I basically collected Sabutio figures rather than playing the game. Um, so I, I was really into into that era. Um, and when, since I've obviously got got back into it as an adult, um, that's that's my yeah that's that's my era. I, I'm not too sure about the the flat based ones of the the modern game, but um, it was yeah it was a conscious decision. Like all artists throughout history, our contributors had to start somewhere. There had to be an origin figure, one that, pardon the pun, flicked it all off. I asked each of them if they could remember what the first piece was that they produced. First up, it's Andre Moura, the hybrid man. Well, I think my first uh, figure um, obviously was, um, I'm not sure, but I think it was uh, Elvis figure, because I'm a huge fan of, of the king and, and I made the the Elvis uh, in that comeback special 68 with a, the leather jumpsuit uh, it was easy just put some hair and and make the color and paint it all black and that's it <laughs> it's, it's easy uh, yeah I think it was I, I think it was the king next it's Stu Hall describing how he got started and how an early piece provided comment on the way the modern game was going so I, I did a range of, um, so, so in, in my, I'm, I work as a designer, like I'm a web designer and make software and things, um, but in my spare time I like to do a bit of graphic design and illustration. Um, I did a range of uh, retro and, and pop culture designs that I used to sell on t-shirts and prints and things, and one of those I did uh, was a piece, a piece, not very fancy, called um, The Modern Game, and it was a couple of Sabutio figures where one of them was, was diving, um, little nod to the how the game's going and that was that was quite popular so i used to enjoy i enjoy drawing uh, the sabuto figure so i i wanted to start a, a range um the first few that i did were actually um for my friends so i, I did i think chris waddle was probably the first one i did at sheffield wednesday because uh, i had mates that supported them so I used to just send birthday cards and mugs and things to, to my friends, and it, it started from there, really. So, yeah, I think Chris Waddle at Sheffield Wednesday was the first. Here's Lawrence Watson going into some detail about the first figure he ever created. 
Um, the first piece I created was Jamie Vardy. Um, at the time, I think I said before on one of your podcasts, it was about time of the Euros, maybe. Um, and I think Jamie Vardy had been playing well for Leicester at the time. He had a broken wrist. So what I done was, it was basic. I, I think I bent one leg, um, put a bend in the knee and took cut one arm off and put it in the air. And he always wore the plaster cast. So I put the plaster cast on it. Or painted it on to make it look like he was wearing a plaster cast. Um, I think that would have been the first one I'd done because it was, it was pretty easy. It was only I only had to cut one knee, one one leg off at the knee, and remove it from the base, and then cut one arm off. So basically, you had a figure with one leg and a half a leg and one arm down by his side. So it was only a matter of putting one arm in the air, gluing it back on, um, and then bending the knee, putting a putting a cut in the knee so it would bend. Um, re-gluing it and at the time I wasn't using I wasn't using any modelling glue or I wasn't using any proper tools I was using a, a Stanley knife a proper Stanley knife that you would use in a, a, a work site um, and I was using proper Yoohoo glue you know it was, so it was real like fingers were sticking together um, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't as the way I would do it now you know um, but it worked and I didn't at the time I wouldn't have undercoated the figure the way I do now, I would have painted just over the kit. I think it was an England player anyway, so it was it was basically keeping the, the jersey white. So it was just repainting the jersey white again. Um and then painting the shorts. I think they were navy at the time and stuff like that. But I mean now it would be more it'd be a lot more art in it and a lot more skill. You know, you would if you were using old figures and you were at the time I would have used old figures, old lightweight figures rather than buying new um new lightweight figures. From the likes of LPM or Subudio World or anything or My Subudio, so you were just using old figures you had laying around. So you would have had to um, scrape them down with a, a a wee artist knife, take some of the excess. You know the the way they were come out of the factory, they all had the lines down the side and extra bits in their hands and bits in their head. You know that way. So um, taking it to another level that way, um, cleaning it down, stripping it down, and then painting it an undercoat white even if the, the team was white and the, the figure was white you, I was always undercoat and then the, the cotton became the cotton became more detailed you know filling it with uh, putty uh, modelling filler and stuff like that there so you weren't left with big holes in the um, arms or laying around the knee you know just trying to probably spend too much time on it but to me it was it was art so you wanted to get make it as, as real looking as possible um, so I think I think Jamie Vardy was the first, and I think the second was Eric Cantona in the Kung Fu Kick. Um, where actually I, I cut him off the base and stuck him via supporter's chest, so it looked like he was kicking the, the guy in the chest. So he was off the base, and the supporter was on the base, and Cantona was actually stuck to the supporter. So it looked like the Kung Fu Kick, and I, I think that was my second one, where I sort of started experimenting a bit more with it. Paul Riddler's first figure was created for reasons that were much closer to home. Yeah, the first uh, figure, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. The first figure I attempted um, was one of Billy Bassett. Um, he's a former West Brom and England player um, who's actually uh, my great granddad. Um, it was meant just to be a nice little keepsake um, with no real intention of creating any more. 
but things kind of snowballed after that initial piece and I've sort of caught the bug has gone on to be quite a big hobby of mine now. Callum Westwood produces his historical kit frames where he paints to order a collection of figures to represent the development of a particular club's kits over the years. Here he is describing how this grew out of a much earlier project. Uh, this one, I started off, the historical kit frames were born out of um, what I used to refer to as Legends 11s um, or um, historical kit team. So basically, I didn't have a framing system in place back then. So the first things I actually did was created a, a Legends 11 of Leicester City for my dad. So he gave me 11 players um, that he wanted to be in his Leicester City Legends team. And I produced them in, so they're all on the same basis. So you could play with them, but they're all in different kits. They're all in the kits and the time period that they would have played. They're all styled, not so much molded. I didn't, I wasn't with the molding clay back then. So hairstyles and things were created with paint. So long hair was just painted further down. Facial hair was added, but that's kind of where that is. So the first thing I did, it was still kind of a playable piece, but it was more about the imagery that it was rather than its playability, if that makes sense, or its symmetry in terms of what it is to play with, would have been that Legends 11 team, which is now like in the Legends 12, because we added a couple of players to it because we were talking to um, Alan Birchnell, uh, took it up to Leicester when I went there a few years ago, and uh, he was a bit upset that he wasn't in it. So he signed the box and uh, I had to add him in. So there is now an Alan Birchnell in the Legends team. Um, but yeah, that was probably the first thing I ever created that was more about the visual artwork side of it than its actual practicality as a, as a team to play with. Being artists and responding to requests from customers, it will be surprising that our contributors have been asked to make some unusual figures in their time. First up to tell us about this, it's Lawrence Watson. Um, I think a couple of, after about a year I was doing it, I started getting requests for things that weren't football. You know, in terms of the most unusual, I would think I had, I had to do a Conor McGregor, which was unusual, and I had to do um, was it Jensen Button? Um, so it was a Formula One figure. So I had to do him holding a uh, say a an F1 helmet on his arm and then I had to put a cap on him. So that was the first time I started coming away from football. Obviously had to make the, the football kit look like a, a jumpsuit that he was wearing rather than a football kit. So it was a matter of shaving the shorts down um, trying to get that tucked in effect out of the jersey um, getting the, trying to get rid of the socks. So when you start shaving them down, they start losing the, the sort of the width and the size of the figure. Um. So then I started adding, I started adding putty to them. So the putty would give them sort of like a creased trouser look effect, and and then after that, the Conor McGregor one was actually strange because he had to make him look like he was wearing no shirt. Um. So it was basically again a pair of shorts, and the, the legs ended up so skinny because it was bare legs and it was a bare chest. So you had to you had to get all the the creases out of the shirt that normally come in the lightweight figures. Um, I think that may have been some of the most unusual ones. Um, I know along, I started getting ones along the lines of football managers and putting trench coats on them and stuff. Um, but I would say that Jensen Button was definitely 
the most unusual one I've ever had to do. Like Lawrence, Paul Riddler is another who's been asked to produce not just footballers. Uh, to be fair, I don't actually get many uh, unusual requests. Um, it's usually the standard football celebration or meaningful moment. Um, I have been asked to do a few um, sort of band ones. Sort of, I did a Mark Bolan one uh, with um, an amp stack as well. So that's probably up there as one of the most unusual. Sometimes, though, these requests can take you out of your comfort zone and create their own problems. Here's Callum Westwood explaining about the challenges he's encountered. Wow. Um, unusual. Um, I don't get many unusual requests, to be fair. I've been asked to make some females recently um, out of classic heavyweights because I was... Uh, this was before they were being made uh, a bit more readily available. So I have had to make some females, which is quite difficult because a heavyweight figure or even a replica heavyweight figure naturally is quite a broad shape. So to create a female that does a female justice rather than just looking like a man is quite difficult. So that was quite a challenge. I, I say it was unusual because it's the first time anyone's ever actually asked me to do it and I actually took it on. Um, so I guess that was quite unusual in terms of art pieces that I've done. I've got, um, a Brazilian, um, at the moment talking to me about doing a Fluminense frame, which I'm really looking forward to, but for me, it's unusual because I haven't done one before. And he's been able to provide me with a lot of historical kit images of Fluminense that I'd never would have seen before. Um, but most of the requests I get for stuff don't tend to be that unusual because what I'm trying to create is tended to be more as a realistic type piece. Like I'm not making fantasy pieces like Subutio Legends who will make fantasy pieces like he's just doing the Karate Kid stuff, which is unbelievable. He'll get a lot more odd requests, I think, than perhaps me. Um, but yeah, so I would probably say creating or having to mould females is probably the most out there thing I've had to do for an artwork piece. Often, though, the requests themselves are not a problem but rather a lack of knowledge about them, particularly if the request is for a more obscure or lesser-known player, as Stu Hall can attest to. Um, unusual. I mean, I, I get bespoke... I've had requests to do... So you, you send me a, a photo of yourself and say, can you do me in this kit, um, rather than being a, a famous person. I, I guess none of them are particularly unusual, but they're, they're possibly not necessarily the most famous players that you'd expect. Um, that's the great thing about football. Each team has cult heroes. So I've done... Steve Bruce was a, a strange one. He, he's somebody's cult hero at, at Manchester United. Um, Nesta, Alessandro Nesta, was, an, I guess, a bit of an unusual one. Um, usually it's, it's the famous... It's the ones you would, you would expect... Um, but occasionally you get a cult hero. Sometimes there's players that I've not heard of, to be to be honest. So I'll have to research them. Uh, Felix Healy at Derry City was was a recent one. Um, but yeah, it's, I wouldn't say they're unusual in terms of I don't expect someone to request that. It's just, I just I'm not that knowledgeable about the world game. So it, it's been really interesting to learn. But what if, like Andre Moura, you don't take commissions, but instead concentrate on producing the figures that you want to produce. And what if many of your creations might be deemed unusual? What then? 
Well, the most unusual figure that I've made. Uh, well, I, I made a few, made even ones without a figure, like the alien egg, or the invisible man, <laughs> or the Star Wars R2-D2 that I made from a straw. But the figures more unusual to see were perhaps the recent uh, genie of the lamp, or or more bold the, the more bold ones the classic porn star <laughs> figures that some of them are pretty uh, let's say strange knowing how creative people work i wanted to know if they had a favorite piece a piece that they felt defined them as an artist i never realized that there would be such stories behind each of their choices here's paul riddler on his favorite piece um, yeah, it is, it is quite difficult to pick a favourite. Obviously, every one of Billy Bassett is, you know, up there as a favourite. But I recently did a Diego Maradona one, um, which I was really pleased with because I think I captured, I sort of recreated it very co sort of correctly to actually the image I was after. And then the paint, painting went quite well. Um, but if I had to pick an absolute favourite, it's probably one of my cricket ones that I've done, um, probably the, the Joss Butler one, where when England won the Cricket World Cup final, it's, and that one's probably the most favourite because of the amount of detail there is in it, sort of extra detail that you have to do for a cricketer instead of a footballer, um, creating the clothing that they're wearing, the hat, the gloves um, and stumps. Um, so that's probably my favourite. For some artists, their favourite piece is quite often the one that they're asked to replicate the most. This is not the case necessarily for all of them. Here's Stu Hall. Um, there's a few, there's some in different ways. So, so I, the most popular one I've done has been the Eric Cantona in, in the black kit. Um, I guess that's an iconic thing. You, you immediately associate him with that kit. Um, a recent one I did, I did all of um, Maradona's kits. Um, obviously, he, he died recently, so that that was kind of, it resonated with a lot of people. Um, my favourite one. Yeah, possibly the Maradona one, I guess, because his was of an era where there weren't so many sponsors on the kits as well, and it was a, a simpler era for kits, but his... Um, the Argentina and the Hand of God kits were probably the, my favourite ones. Sometimes it's impossible for an artist to choose their favourite piece. Here's Andre Moura explaining why he can't choose his favourite piece he's ever made. Well, they all are special to me, every single one. That's why I don't sell any. Uh, first, I, I can do two equal equals figures and I don't want to spend time doing two of them the same. It's bothering uh, when I have uh, so much figures and characters to make uh, and takes out all, all the purpose. Uh, it's the process that I, that I think it's important to me. And, uh, and I encourage everyone to make themselves to, to make their, their own figures um, because, believe me, if I, if I can do it, uh, everyone, everyone can do it. When pushed, though, he did finally give in and make a choice. 
Uh, but if I have to choose my favorite or special uh, with a special connection, maybe the the ET figure in the the bike basket uh, with Elliot on the bike. They are flying because it was the my first ever movie in the theater when I was five years old. I, I really love that 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 um, film. Or the the Lord of the Rings figure, Helmer, the leader of the Rowan Riders. He has a helmet with a with a horse tail uh, that I made with my my dog hair. <laughs> or maybe the Ultimate Warrior, my favorite WWF character. Or maybe the the Elvis, the Elvis figures, and and one of my heroes of my my childhood, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> For Lawrence Watson, his favourite piece comes from the love of the football club he supports. But surprisingly, the one he's enjoyed doing recently belongs to a rival side. Um, I think being a Celtic supporter, when I got asked to do the Billy McNeil holding the European Cup was definitely my favourite to do. Um, but when I look back at it, it's probably one of it's. If I redone it again, which I, I've never redone, um, but if I redone it again, I could probably do it a lot better. I could probably do the trophy a lot better. But for me, that was one of my, my favourites, um, just because of the actual memory of it, you know, and what it, what it, what it means to me. Um, so I find I'm a Celtic supporter and I support Man United, but I get a lot of orders from Liverpool supporters. So it's been hard doing the Liverpool ones, but actually... They're the, some of them are the more enjoyable ones. Um, most recently, they started doing European Cup. Jordan Henderson with the European Cup, and the, the pose is really, it's it's really it's the most realistic one I've ever had. I think I've ever done where you cut the the body off at the shorts, and then you put a slant on the a, a slant on the shorts, so it looks like he's bending over to lift the European Cup. Um, and so he's in like mid lift, and I've done like I think I've done right. I think I'm maybe on the tenth one of doing these, um, and it's the most satisfying. So I found a new way of doing the European Cup, um, using pieces of plastic from other things that I use for recycling figures. So the European Cups are getting a bit more detailed, the figures getting more realistic, and it's just I would say that's probably at the minute is my most satisfying as a United supporter for some reason. Strange, isn't it? Callum Westwood's favourite piece, like Lawrence's, is also linked to the club he supports, marking as it does his team's greatest achievement. Uh, oh, this this one is actually really easy. When Leicester won the Premier League uh, in 2015-16, I was in a phase where I was sort of messing about with the cutting off of arms and legs and creating different poses. And I made... Um, the Leicester City title winning squad all in different poses out of old heavyweights. So some in like slide tackle poses, goal celebrations, passing, kicking, all sorts. Um, I posted it on the internet um, and the club contacted me about getting it put into a museum to start with. So it was in a exhibition of sort of celebrating the title winning season. So it was in a museum up in Leicester, which is really, really cool. Um, it then went to the club. Um, I'm sort of, quite friendly now with the club historian there. So he was looking after it for me. Um, and then after the tragic events in October, um, 
when Kumvishai sadly passed away, I had this, like I wanted, I felt like I wanted to give it to the family to sort of thank them and say that, you know, what you did, what your family has done for this club isn't just unre- like unrecognised or not appreciated. So I then um, asked the historian to just make sure that um, top, was given it and as far as I'm aware I received a thank you from them so as far as I'm aware they do have it so that what 100% is the the most special thing I've ever created without a doubt I asked Callum if the rarity value of this piece was what made him in the end want to give it to the club's owners yeah so like I say it started off as just I did it I shared it on the internet the club got in contact with me it then went up there and then like I say they just had it um, in the club stores and then I say after that I just felt like I wanted them to have it I wanted them to have because there's only one of those there is no other there's no other set of those figures so there's only one and I wanted them to have it it's kind of a I don't know what best way to put it like I wouldn't really call it an offering but like a, a showing of our gratitude and that, that we appreciated him and we still appreciate them and everything they've done for our for our football club so yeah it's a easily the, the most important thing I ever did, even though it started out as just me cutting arms and legs off of figures and just creating some stuff from the title winning season, really. Hearing that from Callum brings me nicely onto the real art aspect of their work, the rarity value. Given the time that goes into the production of the individual figures, is it almost a given that numbers will be limited? Here's Lawrence Watson again. Well, what... What I had before I started selling, I, I had a, an order for five of the Jordan Henderson ones. So obviously I'd done the five and got them out for the Christmas orders. So then I opened up for January, as advertising December for anybody who wanted the Jordan Henderson one. So I tried to limit that to five because I know if I if I have five Jordan Hendersons, I'm probably going to have three teams that I'm in the middle of painting and I'm probably going to have another couple of orders for different moving figures. So I... I try to limit the amount of figures that I do. Um, the Ari Cantona one, I limited that to five. I didn't want any more than five because I wanted people to have something unique. Um, so, I mean, if I was to bring back the Ari Cantona one, it would be five to ten. So it would be the next five would be a batch of five. Um, so there would only be ten out there. So with the Jordan Henderson one, there's going to only be ten Jordan Hendersons. Um, that's with the European Cup. I would probably keep it at that um, and then change it to I've done one Premier League trophy with Jordan Henderson um, no sorry I've done two so I would probably limit that to five uh, I don't want to have too much out there I like I would like it to be different so everybody has a something unique so not everybody will have the same thing you know that way um, but that's that's just sort of my thinking demand if there's a big bigger demand for it then maybe you would, you would rethink about it, but I, I do like to keep less out there. So I do. Paul Riddler gave up taking orders a while back after feeling swamped by requests. Having it now just as a hobby allows him to get more enjoyment out of his work. And this has had the knock-on effect of making all of his pieces one-offs. Um, well, well, I've 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 closed my order. I I don't take any orders. I haven't got a backlog. Um, I 
I cleared my backlog sort of about two years ago. And then at that point I said, sorry, I'm, I won't take any orders. Um, I'll, I just do what I want to do. As I say, it's probably quite selfish in a way, but the time I get to actually do it is probably only about four hours a week. Um, and in that, I don't want to be making figures for other people. I'd rather make what I want because then I'll put my best effort into it. And then any that I do sort of make, I put on my website um, and people can buy those. Uh, I do take, <coughs> excuse me, I do take suggestions um, from people um, and then maybe make those. So the person that really wants something might get something that they, that they wanted. But um, I was finding it just a bit, you know, too stressful to, I was getting too many orders too quickly. And I know I could limit that and say, right, I'll have, I'll do 10 a month, a month and then, and then take more orders. But um, I just chose to go down this route instead. The Cebuti artist community is a small but friendly one. It's clear that they all admire each other's work. So I asked each of our contributors to name some of the artists working in the field whose work they most admire. When I first started out, there was a guy, I can't remember his name. Um, I think he was sort of a comic for doing the Bobby Moore uh, Pelly um, swap shirt, shirt or swap and shirt. So that's, he sort of got me started. I, I just came across him at the time. It may have been on Twitter. Um, I can't remember his name. I don't know who he is. He's not about at the minute. Um, but then the only person out there that is doing uh, the only person I know that's doing amazing work is Subutio Legends. Um, I mean, the detail he puts into his stuff's incredible. Um, I think he actually remolds the entire figure with um, modeling clay or putty or whatever. You know, where I would only put putty in the bits to fill in where I've made cuts. I think he re reshapes the whole figure. So he would, he would have a, an arm bending where I would have it straight. He would have it sort of curved and yeah, I mean the the amount of detail he puts in it's incredible. Um some of the stuff there he's done recently, the the hand of God. Um I think he actually done the Brazil England uh, shirt swapping as well. Um he's done one recently there. I don't know if you you came across it on our channel on the YouTube channel with we were talking about the the ball boy. The Subidio ball boy looking like Jackie Chan um, from our Bruce Lee. So we had spoke about it and I recreated the figure of Bruce Lee in the yellow jumpsuit with the nunchucks. And I actually sent it to the guy that does the show with me, Martin Oak. He sent it to him because it was Martin Oak's idea. Um, but for me, Subidio Legends is he's miles ahead of anybody else in, in uh, Subidio art series. But it's not just football painters whose work he admires. Yeah, Haberman's unreal. And he's doing something different. You know, he's not doing just football. He's doing American football. He's doing music stars and different things. His work is fantastic, so it is. He, he has a way of creating a figure that looks so realistic. You know, obviously, when you look at them from a distance, they look incredible. And then when you zoom in, you would see flaws but when you zoom in and his there's no flaws they're just they are perfectly so they are as someone who runs an online painting academy it's not surprising that callum westwood admires many artists 
but it's not just the ones with the high skill level whose work he appreciates. I mean, 100% I would say Santiago, uh, my friend in Spain, um, because I can remember so vividly him asking me the questions when he first started painting and to see the level he's at now is absolutely ridiculous. And the amount of time it's taken him, I've been doing this for a long time. And if I was producing what he's producing now after, when did he start? 2000 and I want to say 15 to be at the level he's at creating the detail he's creating with the molding, with the, the detail he's able to get on the kits is incredible. Um, and yeah, there are, there are painters like what's he, what's he Lawrence. Um, he's, He's a different style to me in the fact that I paint quite traditional, whereas Lawrence will go for more of trying to make the players look human. Like he adds a lot of the eyebrows and the eyes and tattoos and things like that. So in that respect, and then you've got Colourfield who, again, he's another one who, who gets detailing at such a high level. You look at some of his stuff and you think, how have you even, how have you even done that? Um, other guys, it's Florent Dumont, a guy who's got the um, pretty much the exclusive paint rights to the 3D printed figures. He got the he got them early. Um, some of the stuff that he's doing, it's ridiculous. There are so many people that have the ability to do it. And then I'd also, I'd even shout out the guys that are on my painting academy now because they're proving. Some of them have never painted before, and I'm getting sent through pictures and through email through twitter and they're all talking their work down but for a lot of them it's the first time they've done it so i admire them for one going with it and two for producing the quality that they have because if if i ever find any of my really early really early painted stuff and i think i might have painted over most of it it's terrible like it's really poor really really poor so in terms of guys that are doing top top level stuff there's you know the guys that i've mentioned but in terms of the, you know anyone can do it you've got david hoggard's producing stuff as well and he's produced a lot of it to play his own solo leagues and as i say it's a there's a lot more doing it now than when i first started doing it well, i'm gonna say commercially because it's never really been a commercial thing but started doing it when you paint figures first existed because when i started painting they didn't and now there's so many different places you can get them the availability is, especially over here I, in Italy, I think it's pretty available. I know, um, I think Kevin was saying in Australia and things, it's a lot harder. But yeah, definitely in Europe, there's a lot of availability for it, which I think has opened a lot of people up, which is why there's a lot of artists producing high level products because the availability is there. The costs of original Subutio can be eye-watering. And they think, you know what? I'm just going to do it for myself. And then they do one. And every time you paint something, you learn something different about painting something different. And you'll just see a, a rapid improvement, which is why the level, I think, is as high as it is in the guys that are out there putting their work out there on the internet. Great. In the field of illustration and graphic design, there are more people working with the Sibutia figure than you'd think. Certainly, Stu Hall has a number he's a big admirer of. Yeah, I mean, there's, so, so that's one of the things that since I started this, I've, I've been doing Sabuticons for probably a year or so, maybe 18 months. Um, and whilst I'm not hugely um, on the social media, there's been some really good 
communities on Twitter. Um, so there's kind of, obviously you'll, you'll be aware of the Sabutio community, um, but there's also kind of a, a football shirt community and there's there's kind of a, a football art community as well, but particularly Sabutio art. There's, um, Sabutio style do, do some good good work. Um, they, they just do more realistic Sabutio figures than the ones I draw, but but with with the kits they they sell prints. Um, you're probably aware of Homeless Ghost. Um, they they do footballers in realistic poses, so kind of they they draw not in a, a standard Sabutio style. So um, they're often on one leg as if they're running and things like that. So, but yeah, there's some really good um, graphic designers out there that that do not Sabutio. So I'm I'm trying to keep mine fairly simple but also fairly fairly different and fairly recognizable um but i think there's there's room for everyone but it's not just illustrators he admires he also admires those who paint kits yeah i mean i mean i i got respect for everybody that can paint because i'm i can't paint to save my life i don't i can't make the bristles do do what i want <laughs> um so i mean Sabutio Legends is is one that's been been really supportive of, of my stuff on Twitter as well. He he does well. You might have you might have even interviewed him, but he he makes um, not not just footballers out of Sabutio. He, he's done recently. He's done the Karate Kid uh, figures, and he does basically anyone you want. He, he's just really he's a bit of a wizard with making uh, Sabutio figures. But obviously, you, I'm sure you know Watsi. Um, there's a guy. Sabutio, Northern Ireland. He, he's a collector. Um, Westwood. Well, there's tons of them if you just watch it. But they're all. I can't paint at all. So everybody is is really good <laughs> compared to what I could do. Paul Riddler, despite being someone who others think is a supremely talented painter, has many artists whose work he admires. Now this is a really difficult one because there are so many out there at the minute. Um, I don't really know of too many others who do sort of the sculpture figures. Uh, Watsi um, does a few. Um, but other than that, I think mainly people are painters. But there's so many out there like Westwood, um, Artie Minori. Uh, there's Hellcole 123, Sabutio, Toffee Art, Sabutio, Galsi, Colourfield, Kev Halliday. I mean, I've probably missed out some there and I'm sorry for that. But it's a great... It's a great thing for Sabutio. It reflects really well that there are so many out there um, and there are more and more giving it a go all the time, which is great. Despite not living in the UK, there are a number of Sabutio artists who have caught the eye of Andre Moura, the hybrid man. Other artists. Oh, that's a lot of great artists there. The, that's uh, unfair not to point all of them but regarding uh, painters, there's a, a few Italian ones uh, like um, Fabrizio, the, the Memorabilia. He, he paints um, mainly walkers and molded figures that it confers an old and vintage look to the team. There's a, a Asto 1969 and, and the Pickett guy that are great painters. And of course, Jova sixty-five. That that's for me. Uh, that's 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 an artist. The the detail of the kids, the hairs, the badges, the tone skins and shadows. The that guy blows my mind with with his themes. He's really really great. 
And of course, the, the British guys, the Watsi, the Westwood uh, that I recently follow and, and I'm just now getting to, to know their work on their websites, Instagrams. There, there are some, there, some beautiful pieces there. And, and of course, the beauty legends, that guy is really, really great. Um, amazed everyone with his figures. And, and, and for me, the legendary Maradona running figure, that's, that's priceless. That's a, absolutely amazing. There, but that's a, there's a really great, uh, and a lot of good guys, um, painting and, and modeling and and uh, how many more great in previous centuries artists required the patronage of rich and powerful families in order to make a living from their art michelangelo and leonardo da vinci to name but two of them and of course vincent van gogh needed the financial support of his brother theo in order to keep his head above water david hoggard who's on Twitter as Go Table Soccer, sees himself fulfilling this role in a small way. But not for himself, but for the artists he supports. Probably because they have a level of skill that I don't think I'll ever achieve. And I think that their efforts need to be recognised um, as well. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of... I mean, say we use... Westwood table soccer is the example, as we always tend to do. Again, he uses a, a double O brush, which, and some of the detailing he does, is insane. <laughs> um, you know, I, I couldn't even attempt some of that stuff, what he does. Um, you know, you've got Sabutio legends who creates the models which again he's manipulating lightweight figures and he's creating scenes using stuff like milliput i should think and and actually creating these wonderful models that show scene from the past you know i've got a couple of his pieces i've got um uh a kevin keegan and a Jaden sancho and the wonderful pieces of work, you know, the stand alone to me outside of Sabutio, you know, you know, it's it's artwork, but using the medium of Sabutio, if that makes sense. If the recent global pandemic has taught us one thing, it's that there is a hunger for societal change. There's been a lot of talk of introducing some form of universal basic income. And this might have the effect of allowing some of our Sabutio artists to do their work full-time. For Stu Hall, however, it wouldn't be something he'd consider. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of us, it, it's our side side project. It, it's not our, our, our main job, but there are plenty of artists that if they use social media correctly, they can get the right clients. I know there's, there's lots of football and sports graphic designers who, who now have gone full-time so it started off doing prints like like myself um and then it, it gains popularity if, if a, a footballer would see somebody's drawn him or her then they will share that across social media and then they, they get millions of likes and and it, it definitely can happen um 
I'm not sure it's something that I, I would like to do. I worked um, previously as an illustrator and it, it kind of took the the joy out of it for me a little bit. Um, it's something that I always love to do, but once it becomes your job and you've got deadlines and it, it's not as much fun. So I, I tried to keep it as a hobby, but obviously um, I, I'd still like to progress to Bootcons as far as I can. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I've, like I say previously, I, I work kind of online, so I've not, I've been lucky during all this that I've not been furloughed I've been able to work remotely fairly easily because it's all, it's all done digitally um but yeah I know people who have had to had to be furloughed and, and they've had to kind of find a second income from somewhere um so if yeah it, it's it's definitely something that that's seems to be growing a lot of people are realizing they, they can build a business from, from the bedroom I know it's a cliche but it's um it's happening a lot Paul Riddler is another one who would be unlikely to take the leap, but for different reasons. Um, potentially, yeah. I, I mean, I could. Um, the only issue is I'd, I'd, I might worry about my health a bit with it because again, using super glue so closely, um, and your eyes get quite tired. So I think anything more than a hobby it is it would be a struggle to do, um, and then your interest might wane a little bit from it. At the minute, I really enjoy doing it, um, and it's a bonus. Whereas if it became a job, maybe it would, you know, that that might be taken away. It, it would be, you know, that's one of the reasons why I I don't do quite so many. Um, there was a while where my eyes were starting to sting a bit. So now I use um, a proper face mask and ma, you know, and goggles when I'm, especially when I'm using the super glue, because you're having to get so close to it to get it right. Um, and then, I mean, I used to use enamel paints as well, but then I've moved to acrylic because, you know, less hazardous, because there is that consideration. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it would be a struggle to go back to a cottage industry, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Callum Westwood is another of our contributors who sees the difficulties involved in doing the job full-time. But for him, the obstacles are more pragmatic and involve getting the necessary exposure in order to grow his business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would do, yeah. And then you you have a lot more time mm. to dedicate to accessing new people. So for me, most people, when they see my work, love it. But it's getting the eyes on it. And... Social media is massive for that, but it's still so difficult to get to people because, I mean, I, I had this conversation quite a lot with with um, like Stu and that before we go on to do Sputo shows, and it's like people will quite happily retweet a, I don't know, a GIF of something that's vaguely funny or a massive brand going, oh, if you retweet this, you might win a phone or a TV or anything like that. But when it's someone like me, it's just like, look, please, can you, could you share this? Can you, you know, because I, I don't have access to your followers, but if you retweeted it, they're going to see it. And then that increases like social media is my only way to really access people. Obviously I've got the website and the YouTube channel, but that all relies on people looking for it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's so difficult to, to access the people and obviously with it being locked down at the moment as well I always thought like um, what if I could get like I don't know 
a number of frames together for like a Christmas market or to get to like a, a football memorabilia fair rather than Sputio specifically. And I think I'd do well, but then it always comes down to can I get the numbers together and then have I got access to that close enough to me to make it worth it? But I'll leave the final word to David Hoggard, who believes passionately in supporting the work of the Sibutio artist community. Here's his rallying call to action. I, I just think there's some very talented people out there. Now, I don't mean just that in the Sibutio world, it, but that's where my interest lies. And if I can support these creative people by a, purchasing a bit of their work, which maybe encourages them to keep going, then I think that I've done something good or useful. You know what I mean? It, it's There's lots of creative people out there who are probably struggling. I mean, there could be graphic designers, there could be painters, there could be musicians. Because um, I've done a little bit of work with musicians and DJs and stuff like that in the past, more or less, more or less in a former life, if probably the best way to put it and I realize how difficult it can be and how discouraging it can be if you put your work out there and nobody sort of you know buys it from you or something like that um if if you I mean I always take the view if you get a like it's great but it's better if somebody actually buys something from you, you know, and then so that gives you surely more validation than maybe just 500 likes or something like that. There's nothing wrong with liking it. Maybe like, maybe not people are in the position where I am, where I can afford to go and buy some of this work. So if you like, I'm in that privileged position where I can go, uh, I meet, I can actually buy something for me that I really, really want. And I also help to support those people who are out there creating it. Now, if people are not into Sabutio, I hope they go and find and support something that they're into. But for me, and like for you, our main passion is Sabutio. I hope you've enjoyed this episode dedicated to the work of the Sabutio artists. The work of this week's contributors is truly outstanding, but don't just take my word for it. Check them out online for yourself. Simply talking about their work just doesn't do it any justice. All of them are active on Twitter and details of where to see examples of their work are in the notes for this episode. And that brings us to the end of this episode on Subutio Art and indeed the end of the second series of Finger Flicking Good. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the series of podcasts as much as I've enjoyed making them. I'll now be taking a short break to recharge my batteries, but don't worry, I'll be returning after Easter with another series, where I'll hope to tackle some more aspects of the Sabutio world, as well as introduce you to some more of the interesting people I have met in the online community. If you would like to contribute to a future show, then contact me through the Twitter feed, or alternatively by email at fingerflickinggood at gmail.com. Details on how to get in touch are in the episode notes. To make sure you don't miss out on Series 3 of the show, then subscribe right now to Finger Flicking Good on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Pocket Cast, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finger Flicking Good is a Nairtime production. It's written and presented by me, Derek Ayer, with contributions from Stu Hall, David Hoggard, Andre Moura, Paul Riddler, Lawrence Watson, and Callum Westwood. The theme music is Drive. It's written and produced specially for the programme by Campbell Ayer of The Creature Appeal. Check them out on Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Spotify.